0: One, so that we can begin there and then go to the book <coughs> of Jeremiah. Appreciate everyone's help um, through last week and um, getting through the things that were that we had to get through. Um, today was almost the final day of messing with furniture. Um, almost next Sunday we have a carry-in dinner. Um, So we, you know, decided not to put chairs up, take them all down, put them up this morning and take them down this afternoon. So tables and then uh, after the service next, after our gathering next Sunday, we'll put we'll put chairs back up. Um, I hope everybody is walking around on the carpet and uh, uh, feeling it feel good. It sure smells new, doesn't it? So, uh, once again, thank you for uh, um, taking care of everything last week and taking care of one another. Um, We left some instructions, I think, that over the, uh, and as far as I know, those instructions were followed. as you might have expected, there were a few days I didn't care much about things. So uh, so I didn't ask too many questions. Uh, we will in the future um, be talking about why we do some of the things that we do, why we don't do some things that perhaps other, pe- other churches do. And as a matter of fact, we may bump bump into that a little bit today. So it was uh, kind of an amazing week, as I mentioned earlier, um, um, there were just some days I was not really functioning all that well. Um, I, I will I'll warn you now that I'm, I'm allowed to come out of this thing, okay? I'm not allowed to do a lot, but when I'm at home, I don't have this thingy on. The police. Okay. <laughs> um, so if I if it comes out, don't gasp or anything, it's okay. They told me to put it on. I think it's probably a good idea if I keep it in here, but I'm not gonna make it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing stuff. You already saw me get my pen out and write stuff down and so I wrote all this business down. Look at that. Okay. With a pen in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. All right, so, uh, so I I started to say all this because I'm I got myself Andy my timer's not on, which I will need today. Um, uh, just because I was behind in in getting started with things, and uh, I had written some notes here, which ended up being the intro. It's on this green sticky note, and then as I worked through this. Some things happened during the past couple of days, which showed me I was on the right track, and we'll talk about that. So, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Through whom he also, excuse me, through whom also he created the world. Now we could read on from there, I won't. It talks more about the, more about the son. The, the theme of Hebrews is better and how Jesus came as a better priest and as a better sacrifice and a better covenant and etc. cetera, et cetera. We won't go into all that today except to say that God spoke to us through him. And so the title of my message is, is In These Last Days. Um, but the emphasis is going to be God's Word. Throughout all of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah went back and forth talking to these kings and sharing with them God's Word, um, it was all based on whether or not God was in fact God Now this may sound very simplistic um and maybe we just it's so simplistic it's not even in our thinking anymore but it needs to be if God is in fact God and he is speaking we need to hear him we cannot we must not disregard what he says if we do, it's to our own peril. Why would God, who needs nothing and needs no one, that's our definition of, of the monotheistic God that we, we worship, we call you know, Yahweh or Jehovah. If, if, if He is who He is, why would He speak to us? He doesn't need us. He only speak to us because there's things that we need to know. The primary thing that we need to know is who He is. So He begins to reveal Himself to us. And we, uh, you know, we thank God this morning as we prayed for the, for the wonderful sunshine. He reveals Himself to us in creation. And in myriads of ways, He shows Himself to us. But, but He speaks. If He is in fact God... He speaks and and as Jeremiah went down through, uh, as we read this, you know, we're to the end of this thing here. As we read this, we see that over and over again, he reminds them and, and all the prophets did. Did he not, in fact, redeem them from Egypt? Did he not do all these miracles for them? As a matter of fact, it's not just related to the Old Testament. When you get into the New Testament... You see that this is, in fact, Stephen's sermon. It was the last sermon he preached. Not, they didn't kill him because it was a bad sermon. They killed him because it was a good sermon. He was telling them the truth. He went down through the history of Israel and showed how God had done all these things. He redeemed them. Um, and then he gave them these commands. And he, he commanded how they are to worship. What their worship loyalties were to be. Thou shalt have no other God, what, before me, etc. He commanded how their relationships were to be. And, of course, right in the Decalogue there, right in the Ten Commandments, you know, we got honor your mother and your father. Thou shalt not bear what? False witness. Thou shalt not commit what? Adultery. So we we've got relationship rules right in there. He tells us how to approach him. He tells us how to live with one another, and then, and then when we get into the um, the more detailed of it, he even you know he even tells us what to do if we dig a hole and our neighbor's ox falls into it, and gives us some precedent there how to deal with things like that, so that we can have relationships and and all of these relational dealings, and then he goes on about all sorts of things. So if he is God. Is he capable, as God, of holding us accountable? Well, if he is God, he most certainly is capable of holding us accountable. If he is God, he not only speaks, he not only expects us to hear what he says, he demands, because he is God, that we respond correctly to what he has said. We... we. Tend to call that obedience that we obey Him, and that's what Jeremiah is dealing with throughout his book. We see that we see the culmination of wrong choices at the end, but that's what he's dealing with throughout all his book. Is he capable of holding account? Yes, and he does it. All according to his word. He doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't know, what he hasn't said. He holds us accountable for what he has told us and what he has shown us. And when you read the first chapter of the book of Romans, you'll find out that God said, I revealed myself to all these people through all creation and when they could see me in all of this, they did not honor me and glorify me as God and refused to keep the the memory or the knowledge of me in their mind. As an act of will, it was an act of rebelliousness. Now, let's look, let's look at the book of Jeremiah and kind of dig into this after that probably too long introduction. <laughs> it reminds me of the preacher that was being introduced at some conference, and the conference leader's wife was sitting next to the preacher's wife, and, and the, the, the conference leader gave a rather brief introduction. And the his wife felt bad about it, and leaned over to the speaker's wife and said i'm sorry he didn't do he didn't give your husband a very good introduction and then, wives being his wife said he doesn't need introductions it's closings that he needs <laughs> chapter thirty four verses one through six. The word of the Lord came." To Jeremiah, excuse me, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all the cities. And there's a lot to be said there. I can't unpack it all. But keep in mind that as that kingdom of Babylon rolled westward and conquered, it incorporated all of those peoples into its, um, into its empire. So when it says that all of those kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, they all came. And they were fighting against Jerusalem and all of its cities. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, that Thus says the Lord. So three times, at least, in these first couple of verses, we have that this is a word from God. It says it in one form or another. Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye, and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so people shall burn spices for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. So in those first five verses, we see this prophecy from Jeremiah um, to Zedekiah, who's the final king. Now the context of this let me read down verse, let me read verse 6 and 7. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left, Lashish and Ezekah, for those were the only fortified cities of Judah that remained. So while Jeremiah is prophesying that Babylon is going to win, there is fighting going on. So I want to make sure that we have this in context. Um, There are always reasons, outward and inward, not to obey what God says. You say, well, I'm not subject to that. Oh, yes, you are. There were all kinds of political... And if you read this carefully, you find out that in another place, Zedekiah, who was the final king, calls Jeremiah in and says, what's going to happen? And Jeremiah says, if you surrender, you will live. Actually, let me just go there. It's in chapter 38. You've got to hear my notes. Let's just go there. He calls him in, says, what should we, what should we do? Go to verse 14 here. King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. The king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question, hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I tell you, you will not surely put me to death. And if I give counsel, you will not listen to me. I'm sorry, I am sorry. I read that wrong. If I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel, will you, not, you will not listen to me. Then King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, as the Lord lives, who made our souls, I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hand of those men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city will be given in the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them, and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said, you shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and and you and your life shall be spared. Excuse me. And your life shall be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the vision which the Lord has shown to me. Behold, all the women left in the house of the king of Judah who were being led, uh, were being led out to the officials of the king of Babylon and were saying, you trusted friends who have deceived you. I'm, I'm going to quit reading there. It says, verse 23, Your wives and your sons shall be led out to the Chaldeans, and you yourself shall not escape from their hand, but shall be seized by the king of Babylon, and this city shall be burned with fire. Skip over to chapter 39, verse 6. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then... Then uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon. The rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him, and the people who remained. And he left some of the poor there. I'll I'll stop reading that. So here, chapter 38, he says, I want you to surrender. And if you do, you'll save your family. Folks... uh, Uh, I didn't emphasize when I went through that. I hope you saw that. But over and over again, he says, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. So let me ask you a question. Why does God want him to surrender? Why does God promise him that if you surrender, I'll spare your life, but if you keep on fighting like this and, and don't surrender and don't submit, then what's going to happen is there's going to be destruction. He wanted him to surrender because to submit to Babylon was in essence submitting to the judgment of God. God said, I'm going to judge this place for all that you've done and we're going to go back into all that again. Jeremiah talks about it. He talked and covered it in a different... In a different time and in a different day, but all of the injustice that they had done, how they had violated the worship practices, the idolatry that they were involved in, the oppression of the poor and the wicked, and all of the all the other wickedness that they were involved in, he says, "I'm going to bring judgment to you unless you guys repent." And and we read, if you read through this this week, you read instances of people who did repent, and God said, "Therefore, I'll not judge you." It's in these passages. So he wants him to surrender because to surrender means to submit to his authority as declared by the prophet when the prophet said, By the word of the Lord. And of course, they caught him and they killed him and the sons. They killed him and the sons and they, they blinded him and led him to captivity. You can also read it in chapter 52 last chapter of the book, so kind of a simple question did god 's word come to pass? will it not always in chapter thirty six um, and i 'm not going to take time to read a lot of this um, the the Lord came to um, Jeremiah and said, I want you to write a school and take it to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was an earlier king, so sometimes these chapters go back and forth as far as the actual chronology of the events that happened. But he took it, he took it to the... He, he, he took it to read it. And he said, I want you to write all this down. I want you to have your servant Baruch go to the temple and read it. Jeremiah was not allowed to go into the temple. He'd been kicked out of the temple. He's a Jew who can't go worship. You're kicked out because you're always saying all this... Bad, negative stuff. You're so hard and mean, and you never say anything encouraging. So I kicked him out. So he wrote a scroll of all of these prophecies of judgment. And when the feast day came, Baruch went and read it. And you read this. You read this chapter. It's it's an amazing chapter. Baruch written and read it, and some of the people went into the leaders of of, of Judah and said, this, "This Baruch is out here." Jeremiah's um, compatriot and he's reading this and he's reading all these things and they said, go bring him in and he brought him in and he said, read to us what you read and he read to them and they 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 kind of all were broken in heart and broken in spirit and they said, let's take this scroll to the king. You can read this here. They said, but Baruch, you and Jeremiah go hide. So they took the scroll into the king and the king had his scribe read it to him and after he read a few sentences he cut it off and threw it in the fire you read it here in chapter 36 so they went into the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elisha, the secretary, and they reported all the words of the king. And the king sent Jehuda to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber. And of the secretary, and Jehuda read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was in the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. And Jehuda read three or four columns, and the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the fire pot. And then some of the most chilling words you'll find out you'll find through all the scripture. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. So they read the book to him, and they were unaffected. Now, I don't have time to look at it today. You can look it up. There's an interesting verse in James that talks about the man who looks at at himself in the mirror and sees what he was and makes no corrections and goes on his way. James chapter 1. We have, folks, all of this. And we've had it for generation upon generation. So I ask us, you know, does it, does it affect us? Are, are, we, are we grateful for grace? Because when we read about how we ought to be, we, we, we should be realizing that we are not what we ought to be, and therefore that should cause us to be grateful for grace. Of course, we read about grace in here also. Otherwise, we just would cower in a corner. Are we fearful of judgment? Are we awed by God? God who gave specific details, we just read them, specific details to this prophet about what was going to happen to the rebellious king And God caused those specific details to to happen. Now, interestingly enough, from reading what, from hearing what the prophet said, you couldn't really tell exactly what was going to happen. But when it happened, you can look back and say, "That's exactly what the prophet said. He's going to see the king eye to eye." As a matter of fact, be the last thing he saw. Previous to that, he just saw his children murdered. And he went to live in Babylon and lived there the rest of his life and died there a prisoner are we are 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 we are we are we filled with compassion? Is there any kind when we read that Jesus looked on the multitude and he was moved with compassion do we are we moved with compassion do uh, I can't elaborate on all these and and maybe there's other things you you could fill in here. Is there a sense of urgency? Is there a sense of brokenness? Is there a sense of repentance? It doesn't really, you know, I could list a whole list of, uh, put a whole list of things here. It doesn't really matter. But somewhere on the line, this book should affect us. Now, I, I won't take time to read more of this, but when you get into Um, chapter 42, and by the way, some of the last chapters here are Jeremiah in Egypt prophesying against all of the nations. And he goes down through the list and he prophesies all the nations. So he says to Egypt, Egypt, you're going to fall under God's judgment because you're a godless people. And then he says to all of the nations around, Moab and all of the rest of them that were around Israel, he says, you guys, God's going to judge you all. And finally he says to Babylon, you're going to be judged also. Because you're you're ungodly also. You won't listen to God. And he says, I'm going to raise up a nation that's going to come from the north, and they're going to conquer you, and they're going to destroy you. So some of those last chapters talk about all that. In chapter 42, they say, let's tell us. You know, again, I don't have time to read it, but it's an interesting story. They said they, you know, they. The 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 good governor was murdered and these people were left in a situation where they didn't do it, but they were going to get in trouble for it and they didn't know what to do. And they came to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, tell us what to do. Whatever you do, that's what we'll say. And he said, don't go to Egypt. And they said, we don't believe you and we're going to Egypt. And by the way, we're taking you with us. You can read it. It's right there. It's within a few sentences. Just tell us what. whatever you say we'll do. That's what we're going to do. And when he told them, they said, we're not going to do that. As a matter of fact, we're going to do that and we're taking you with us. And Jeremiah, the prophet, probably died in Egypt, drug along by the rebelliousness of these people. Now, I don't know if they heard what Jeremiah said to Zedekiah the king. You know? Because if they had, they might have said, well, you know, he prophesied this to Zedekiah and it happened just the way he said it was going to happen. Maybe we should listen to him. I don't know if they knew all that. But we do. We've got that whole story. We don't only have that whole story, we've got all the stories that come after this. we got, we, got the, we got the story of that babe who was born in a stable and laid in a manger. we got the story of that babe who grew up to be a Savior and fulfilled all of those prophecies by dying on a cross and rose from the dead. We have the stories a little later on in this book about those men who saw that, and when they saw that, it so radically changed their lives that they changed the world. (laughs) They changed the world so much that the world wants to deny that they changed it. When I was growing up, everything was measured by the birth of Christ, B.C., Anybody remember this? The old folks? Now it's BCE. You guys know that? Before the common era. If there's, if there is no greater proof than the fact that he changed the world, than the fact that people are trying to deny that he changed the world. We have all of that. That's why when, 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 when the writer of Hebrews whoever it was, says in various times, down through history and in different ways, God has spoken to us. But in these last days, we have the word of His Son. You know, every single day, there is a test on God's word for us. Did you know that? Every single day. I remember, as I was pulling these thoughts together, I remember when I decided I wanted to be an umpire and a basketball official, and they gave me these books, and it said, "Study these, st- study these books." There's going to be a test, and the test was hard. I guessed enough correctly, I got my credentials, but it was a hard, it was a hard test, and I had to study those books. And some of the books had, you know, strange things in them, like if this happens and that causes that to happen and then that happens, what's the ruling? I don't know, has that ever happened? I assumed it had happened or they wouldn't have put it in the book but it was a strange strange thing, I think about that every once in a while when, you know you see some strange clip that comes out of a baseball game where they hit a ball and there was a cat running through center field and it hit the cat on the head and bounced over the wall I'm thinking I'm glad I'm not an umpire. I had to study that. Some of you in here have professional certifications and you had to study for those. and then you had to take a test. Every day we're tested. Every time a child asks us, why don't we do that? Everybody else does that. Or why do we do it this way? we have the opportunity to explain because this is what God says. And we honor God's word above all the word of men. We honor God's word above our own feelings, above our own sentiments. Remember, there was pressure when Jeremiah came and said, if you surrender, you'll be saved alive because they were in battle at that very time. every opinion formed about life and relationships and money and politics and self, every single one is a test. Does it line up with God's revealed will as we find in this book? Folks, there is no greater neglect than for you not to read the book that God has given you. How can there be? This is the creator of all the universe speaking to us. The word, this word, must rule our entire lives. Um, I remember years ago when I was teaching success stuff, you know, we had this pie chart. And uh, one of the reasons I quit teaching it was... You know, it had, you had your life divided up into pies, you know, like you're, you're a husband or a, a wife in, in, in that pie and you're a parent here and you're a neighbor here and you're a family member here and you're an employee here or, or whatever. Had, it all, was all, it was, and it was a pie and you went through these different relationships and how do you balance these things out and how do you take care of all that? Well, the problem with that pie is that isn't the way it works because it should be a wheel and in the center of the hub should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And everything radiates and emanates out from Him. And it all revolves around Him. So, Andy, we're going to look at the video. I forgot to ask you if you got it. I hope you did. All right, so we're going to look at the video now. I sent a little video. To, and let me. So let me preface this. These are good folks. I, I, I'm going I'm to say that now because I'm going to tear into what they say here in a minute or two. But these, um, not entirely, but, but, I, but I, want, I want you to, you've got to go here with me, okay? It'll be okay. Um, these are good, they sent me this, I got this video I think on Friday. And I, and I, I saw it yesterday um, about a new center for cultural apologetics. They realize we live in a world that's different than the world that some of us grew up in where Christianity was honored. And they'll explain that in this short video. And how do we deal with that? Okay? But there's a point in here that I want you to see and we'll make, we'll, we'll make comment on it where they talk about evangelism was basically connecting the dots. Are you with me? All right. So let's look at the video and then we'll talk about it here in a second.
1: We now live in a post-Christendom culture. For at least a thousand years, Western culture has been what you might call Christendom culture. Even if most people were not devout Christians, there was a positive understanding of Christianity in the culture. The great majority of the people had a positive understanding of the church. And so it was not that difficult to get people in the door. And many, 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 many people went to church just because they felt they should, even if they didn't have a devout or vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, the culture instilled in people a certain amount of background beliefs that the Bible assumes. They, they assumed there was a moral law. They assumed that what, there was some kind of moral absolutes. They also knew they needed forgiven, so they had a sense of being sinners, even if they didn't use the word. They believed in a life after death. They believed in a personal God. The culture instilled dots. And evangelism was just connecting the dots. And so if you came to them and said to almost anybody in the culture, hey, when you die, you certainly want to know that you're gonna go to a good place, right? And you're trying to live a good life, but you know you don't really live up to it. Nobody lives as well as they should. But in Jesus Christ, you can have your sins forgiven so you can know that when you die, you would go to heaven. Aren't you interested in that? But what if the dots aren't there? What if people don't believe in God, don't believe in moral absolutes, don't believe they're sinners? And what if you can't get them in the door to come to church to hear the gospel preached from the pulpit? And now you're in how do you win people to Christ in a post-Christendom era? And the church does not have any idea how to do it. The way the Keller Center is seeking to address this is that we want to raise up a new generation of younger thinkers and ministers and leaders who are able to do evangelism and cultural apologetics in a post-Christendom situation or milieu. If the Keller Center is successful and this new generation of younger thinkers and writers and scholars produce great cultural apologetics in a compelling way to secular people, very secular people the church itself will start to translate this content. It'll find all sorts of platforms and vehicles for the content that the Keller Center is producing. And if that happens, the reversal of the decline of the evangelical church in this country will take place. The second thing is, many, many younger people are leaving the evangelical church for a variety of reasons. But one of them is this, just as we do not know how to effectively evangelize highly secular people, In the same way, we really don't know how to protect our own young people from the narratives and the uh, arguments and the messages of our secular culture. Because when you do cultural apologetics, you may be winning people to Christ who are not believers. But everyone knows that apologetics also serve as a kind of strengthening of the faith and the belief, especially of younger Christians. And therefore the cultural apologetics will not just do evangelism, it'll do formation. And I think it also, 20 years from now, hopefully it'll close that back door so that more young people are coming into the church than are leaving, and that's our hope for what change and difference the Keller Center could make to the church.
0: Thank you, Andy. So um, <clears throat> I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do. I think it's an interesting concept, and so I'm not going to I'm not going to prejudge it. It's not um, not my goal here this morning. Um, but what they addressed was living in a post-Christian. He called a it post christendom It's kind of a loaded concept in itself. A post-Christian world, and how do we relate to people? And then he went through the, you know, connecting the dots. My guess is everyone in here has been to a church, if you've been around any years at all, who in one form or another had a dot connecting ministry. That's how I was told to win people. We lived in this culture, that's how I was trained to win people, we lived in this culture where everything kind of supported that and the blessing of all of that was also its curse. Because we, we, we determined that trans, that salvation could be this transactional experience that leaves out the dynamic life changing power of the Holy Ghost that is revealed to people through God's Word. It is only revealed to people through God's Word. We can see it in people's lives and that is supposed to cause them to ask questions and that's supposed to allow us to be ready always to give an answer. You know that verse? For, to every man for the reason that lies within us with meekness and fears for the hope that lies within us, with meekness of fear. So that's all supposed to happen, but it all takes us back to God's word. The Ethiopian eunuch is riding along, and Philip comes up to him and says, What are you reading? And he says, I'm reading Isaiah. He says, But I can't understand, and who can understand this? And Philip says, Can I help you? And he says, Yes. And he hops in the chariot with him, and they go along, and he explains it to him. And in explaining God's word, the man says, There's water. What keeps me from being baptized? He didn't go through and, and he didn't go through and say, you know, this was all had to do with your mother and your father and all of this other stuff, and, and try to make all of these cultural connections. Again, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. I hope it's worthwhile, but I can tell you this if they don't go back to Scripture, it will not work. The reason we have young people leaving church is because we fail to teach this book. We're always compromising this book with what's going on culturally. I'm doing a good job of not using my right arm, aren't I? <laughs> so I got to thinking about this. And again, this thing just popped in. I was thinking about the Word of God and Jeremiah and God's authority and how he expresses it in his Word. And I was thinking about all this, and I I, I looked. I was upstairs in my, in my house where I have my table. And I was standing there. I looked over at my bookshelf, and I found the book by Alan Hirsch that the leader's read, overseas read a few years ago. And he based all his conclusions on what happened in the first century church. Between the first and the third centuries. Because after the third century, Christianity had conquered the world. And those people lived in a culture where there was no Christianity. They lived in a pagan culture. I hope you're you're following this. We, We got the same thing in Carl Truman's book. What some of us are reading right now. This strange new world book. He says, you gotta go back. You gotta go back to what they did in the first century. And he, he lays out things. I, re, we, I remember reading Rod Dreher's book, Live Not by Lies. And what do we do? We go back to what they did in the first century. I read I just had, I went over and looked at a book from Doug Wilson. What do they do? And Doug Wilson says, you gotta go back to what they did in the first century. We gotta be doing, we should be doing what they did in the first century. We should have never left doing it. We preach this book. We live by this book. We let this book guide all of our actions and all of our steps. Many believers, quote, close quote, believers live without any awareness of the Holy Ghost in their life because their salvation experience was based on that connect the dot thing you saw on the wall it's a, it, it, it is a contractual agreement no, no, no different than signing a contract for your phone or your television service and we have left out the power of the Holy Ghost that can only come now I've got some I've got a few verses and there are a lot so uh, it 's like when Festus wanted to buy some property, and Doc told him he should buy a little lot, and Festus got confused about that i don 't have enough money for a lot of land. he said, "Just buy a little lot and that was, yeah, that was so we got a little lot of scriptures here, all right Hebrews chapter four verses twelve and thirteen i don 't know who has that, but somebody does <coughs> Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Thank you. I'm going to make some comments on some of this stuff. Um, What cuts? what, what, What cuts? That sword that is the Word of God. The sword that is the Word of God. I'm, I, folks, I do a lot of kinds of study and I do all kinds of reading and I'm not against any of that stuff. But you don't need science to reinforce the book. And when you depend upon science to reinforce what you're saying with the book, you're falling into the devil's trap. Don't do it. If they say, well, science says this, then your response is, well, science will eventually be proven wrong. And go back to the book. Don't be dragged off. First Peter chapter one verse twenty three Since you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. First Timothy two thirteen. Fir excuse me, first Thessalonians two thirteen. So in, in First Peter he says we're born again by the word of God, and here it says you received it not as man's words but as God's word, and it's that word that does what? It's working in you. God's word, not an anthropological study. I got I got to be quiet. Okay, Ephesians six seventeen. Sword of the Spirit. First Corinthians 1:18 for the word of the cross is falling to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. <laughs> we we glibly read over that. Just stop for a minute and contemplate that. The power of of God, who's been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, so I'm like that president, and I can say to any of you, you didn't make that. It took a power greater than you to make that. I, I, I think about that—the power of God. It just First, uh, First Corinthians one twenty-one. So he says, people are saved by what? Preaching. And we got, uh, again, there's another verse that says, you know, how can they be saved unless they hear? How can they hear unless there be what? A preacher. How can I be a preacher unless someone sends him? 1 Corinthians 1, and 24. we got we've got not only God's power we've also got God's wisdom and by the way they're contrasted with the world with the world now uh, let me say something here it was uh, interrupt this just a second um there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people, I'm going, to, I'm going to use the word good because I think you understand what I'm talking about. There are a lot of good people in, in this journey in a lot of different places in this, in this life. And, and some of them are out here now in their, in doing their best and some of them have positions of prominence and we can listen to them and they're social commentators. Let me tell you something. If they do not bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're part of the folly, not part of the wisdom. That can change tomorrow, but until it does, they're part of the folly. I'm not being negative, because... Where they're at may be part of where they need to be to get where God wants them to go. I want you to see that. It's a process. That was a process with me. It was a process with you. If it happened to any of us, it's, it, it, if you're a believer, it's happened to you. And it continues to happen as you grow. In the video, they talked about formation. <laughs> I just love it. You know, Jesus had not people he formed. He had what? Disciples. But now we call it Formation. You know, somebody wrote a book, having Christ formed in you, and now we got this whole because we've got to put the new thing in a new word, otherwise new people won't listen to it, rather than going back and explaining what the old word really means. First Corinthians chapter two verses one through five. You say it any better than that. I mean I mean who, who, who on earth can say it any better than that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men but in what the power of God Romans 1 16 and seventeen. Just shall live by faith. Good. Mark eight, thirty-eight. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Do we live in a sinful and adulterous generation? Well, let me be really hard if someone with a rainbow sign gets in your face and yells at you and calls you a bigot and you back down where does that fit into Mark chapter 8 if you are ashamed of him and his words he'll be ashamed of you you may be ashamed this time and the next time you say man I really messed that up Lord give me grace and when you go you won't be I'm not telling you that's the unpardonable sin but I, what I do want you to see is that this wicked and adulterous generation that we have now you, you notice it if you look one of its main weapons it's scorn and ridicule and mockery Because it wants you to be ashamed of the word of God. We get college students who come up through our youth ministry. We send them off to the secular university. And the secular professor browbeats them. And what happens? They become ashamed of what they got taught in church. Well, I guess I'm like that guy I talked about. I don't have a conclusion for this. (laughs) Well, yes, I do. Folks, I want to challenge you. I don't believe the Church of Jesus Christ, what we refer to as the Church of Jesus Christ, which might be a whole lot of people who go to church who had no more experience with the Lord other than that transactional thing we saw on the wall. I don't believe it will survive without a revival of this book. I have said for years that there is a disregard in the church for the word of God. If there's a revival, there's... there's a, one of our seminaries has had a prayer meeting that's gone on for four days or so. They're calling it a revival. It's not a revival. It will be a revival if there's repentance and if there's an adherence to this word and if they're adhering to this word they can't stay in the denomination that fosters that particular seminary Heavenly Father thank you for your grace thank you for this book sometimes Lord I I. I'm, uh, I'm fearful because I look at all that we have and you're just thinking about this book and I remember that you said to whom much is given much will be required. And I pray that there's no one who hears me who will squander the opportunity that they have to read to study to contemplate to meditate to ruminate, to practice this book, to live it, to be honest with themselves, to let it judge their lives, to let it judge their decisions, to let it form their opinions, to let it rule their relationships, to let it rule what they think about the world, to let it rule what they think about themselves. I pray there's no one who hears me who won't yield to that. And give this word, your word. The word that tells us of Jesus. That place of prominence in their life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.